All right. Well, we are in our fourth week of Advent, and if you're not familiar with the practice of Advent, that's okay because um, I didn't grow up familiar. I was I did not grow up familiar with the the practice and the celebration of Advent. It's centuries old, and it's a church tradition um, that just celebrates the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And the word Advent meaning um, arrival or coming. All right. That that Jesus' arrival is nearing. In this fourth week of Advent, we are celebrating the final week of that as we move our way towards Christmas Eve and, of course, Christmas Day. So that fourth candle of Advent, which I appreciate the Jones family uh, lighting for us and appreciate them willing to come out and just be part of that worship experience with us, uh, that fourth candle represents love, all right? It represents love. In fact, here's our big idea for today. It's printed on the front of your program, and I want to make sure you pay attention to that because there's a place for notes there as well. God gives us the gift, all right? Simple, God gives us the gift. Now, uh, speaking of gifts, I have, uh, I have one for you. I have a throwback for you. We've been talking over the course of the last few weeks in our series, Christmas uh, Before and After, um, about how we just kind of really love the nostalgic kind of ways that we can look back at pictures uh, or events from a certain time and to look forward and see the changes, and it's just kind of fun to do that. So I found a picture on my computer of when I was doing student ministry at White Oak, um, close to the early years, um, 2005. So this picture is from 2005. All right, it's 15 years ago. Uh, that's me and Denise at a, at a dinner that we would throw for all of our student ministry volunteers every year. Um, I know I haven't changed a bit, have I, right? Um, yeah, so, so that was me 15 years ago. Now, when I was sitting in my office Thursday afternoon, um, I took a picture of me in my office just from Thursday, just to show you how far we've come. So take a look at the after picture. It's been one of the things that, sh- I mean, and I'm still working out, so I'm still trying to keep my youthly you know, my figure, but I told Chris Emmons, I said, I don't know if he's here, like, that's what's coming for you, buddy. Ministry's hard, all right? And it wears on you quick, so 15 years feels like 80, all right? So that's for you um, to, to, to just share. Um, I found a lot of pictures of a bunch of old guys. I could not decide which one to put up there, and that was just my favorite because he looks so fun. All right, we enjoy this nostalgic look back. I think it's fun that we all do, and we've talked about that, but I think we have this tendency, and this is true of all of us, to approach or analyze faith or a faith experience in a similar manner. And what I mean by that is we have a tendency to have this image of God or this response that we have to God, and and it looks a lot like a God who did, like a a he did or a he will approach to faith. He did or he will. And he did meaning we, we, we have a tendency to recognize a God when we say, especially this season, he came, right? He was born. Or he did live in this way and he did these things. He died, right? Or even he did rise from the grave. We also have a tendency to to think about and to to experience God or faith in this way in a God who will. And so we use phrases like, or or we think about God who, who will heal in the future. A God who will do something, right? If perhaps I'm obedient or good. Right? We talk about a God who will turn something bad and draw out of it something good, or a God who may return someday and take us home, right? 
And we hear this kind of this God did or, or God uh, will language, and we hear it from friends, and we hear it from, from uh, family, we hear it from pastors, right? It's, it's something that we actually say when people are hurting or when people are dealing with a difficult thing, whether it's a friend at school or a family member or, or somebody here, you, you might co- walk up to them and say, hey, but do you remember what God said? Do you remember what God did in the Bible? And we'll point back to a story, right? Or maybe we'll approach and say, hey, don't worry, because one day God will, and, you'll, and you fill in the blank, what God will do. So we have this he did or he will approach to faith and approach to God. And it's not necessarily our fault because it's just kind of how it's always been talked about. It's how, what we notice, all right? And what's odd is that God's word in places can actually seem to feed this concept that we approach our faith with, that we talk about a God who did things or maybe a God who will do things, all right? In, in the Old Testament of the Bible, Micah was a prophet. And the prophets in the Old Testament of, of our Bible before Jesus came, they were a mouthpiece for God to speak to the people of Israel all right? What God did through the prophets was to tell Israel, I want you to remember what I've done for you, right? Because I want you to be faithful now, because I want you to know what's coming for you. And the prophets helped Israel stay focused and faithful, all right? Micah's going to live at the same time that Isaiah did, and we talked about Isaiah last week, about 700 years before Jesus' birth. We're going to look at what he says in Isaiah Chapter, no, I, I, Micah, sorry. Micah chapter five, starting in verse two. This is what he says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all of the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. And we have this unique position of having an inkling of who he's talking about. It's Jesus. They didn't know that then, but we know it now. 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah says, guys, listen, in the future, we are, our nation's going to be carried into captivity by our enemies, and we will be exiles from our homeland. But don't worry, Micah says, don't worry. Because one day, there's a Savior coming. There's a Savior coming. So 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah gives this glimpse of a Savior and says what? God will do this. So it's not a surprise, really, that we have this tendency to drift towards a he did or he will kind of faith. And I imagine the people of Israel were really frustrated because for centuries, prophets kept coming to him and said, hey, do you remember what God's done? Like, yeah, we've heard the stories or we experienced it. Okay, well, stay faithful because let me tell you all the things God's going to do. I can imagine how frustrating that was living in between did and will do. See, this he did or he will kind of faith is something that you and I know very, very well, isn't it? It's kind of a nice set of stories. A faith driven by he did, listen, see if this sounds recognizable to you. A faith driven by he did 
is a faith where you and I hear the stories, maybe like your grandfather would sit down and share stories about Jesus or stories about God and a faith, and it's very nostalgic. It's very inspiring to you, isn't it? And a he will kind of faith is maybe, maybe there's this, this hope. It's kind of this mystical way that we talk about it, this hope of something that God will do in the future. And some of us just live there. He did. Or he will. But that's not a tactile kind of faith, is it? I mean, that, that, living in a faith that says, well, God did some amazing things, or maybe God will do something, that's not something that you can, like, taste. That's not a faith that you can touch or experience. That's just a bunch of good stories that might inspire or wishful thinking for the future. And I know that we feel like then, some of us, that somewhere between God did and God will, we're kind of left just to figure out the whole middle part. That you and I are kind of just left in the middle part of faith, just left to kind of figure it out on our own. Which is why. Which is why so many people... And it's, gonna, it's us, it's people you know, it's God forbid your children or your grandkids. It's why people say, well, Christianity or, or Jesus or church is irrelevant or trite. Because it has no practical value now. It's why so many of us approach faith and approach a relationship with God with just this list of do's and don'ts, Right? Because this list of do's and don'ts, like, at least I know where I stand. Because I've got these stories that I've heard about what God has done or what he's like. And and I've got this hopeful thinking of things that God will do. But left in between, if I can just take it down to a list of do's and don'ts, at least I know where I stand. That's why many of us will, will kind of, when the dust settles in the conversations about faith, for us or our relationship with God, the dust settles really, sometimes it just boils down to a set of beliefs. Things that you do believe and things that you don't believe. It's not, it's not personal and it's not intimate and it's not missional. It's just things that I believe or don't. It's why so many of us get hung up when it comes to things about faith or about your relationship with God and we just get hung up on the self-centeredness of it or the the preferences that we have about church because we boil it down to that and when we boil it down to that guys we don't have time for the mission that Jesus has set us on And we don't have enough in our minds and hearts to really know and experience that our identity comes from our Heavenly Father. Like, he he pours into our identity. He tells us who we are. And we don't have time to be thinking in those abstract ways. Because we've boiled faith down to the bare minimum. Because when you and I recognize a God who did or a God who will, and we, all of the rest of this is left to us to fill in the gaps, that's where we'll land. And for many of us, that's our story. 
Now you fast forward 700 years after Micah told Israel, God will. And you fast forward it to Luke. And Luke was a physician and a historian who came to know Jesus. And um, Luke is, you're going to notice in Luke that Luke's the guy who was paid attention to details. He was such an avid historian that you're going to notice that Luke is the Christmas story that most of us read from. Because he's the one that talks about king, the wise men. He's the one that talks about the shepherds. Luke, who includes all, whenever you read Luke, um, you'll notice he's talking about places, people, events, because he's just drawing all of this in for us to enjoy and for us to read, for us to know that what God says is trustworthy. Look what Luke says in his narrative of Jesus's life. He says it 700 years after Micah, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It may sound familiar to you. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem and Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. It's, it's Luke who later tells us that, these, that God's angel armies appear to some shepherds out in a field, if you're familiar with that story. And they get to deliver this message for the first time heard by human ears other than Mary and Joseph that what Micah said would happen has happened. And that no longer do the people of Israel or humanity talk about a God who did or a God who will, but these angels get to deliver for the first time to human ears, we have a God who is. Back in January, uh, I, almost a year ago, I had booked a trip um, with, with my older son to take this uh, father-son. It was like a spiritual retreat in Montana and a ranch there. And I remember in January signing up, and I immediately got an email from this ministry that hosts this trip. And, and they sent us this like laundry list of things to do between January and when we left at the last week of July was the actual event, all right? But for those like six or seven months, they gave us this list of things that we should be praying with each other, like weekly, these lists of like these devotional guides to read, scripture we should be reading, uh, books that I, we both were to be reading. There was even a list of movies to watch before we left for our trip to the ranch in Montana. And there was just all this prep work and this anticipation of what was going to happen. And then the day finally came, we got on the plane and, and we flew to Montana and spent this week on this ranch just um, hearing just these amazing uh, truths and, and these challenges about God and about how he sees you know, us as, as men and sons of God. And it was an amazing, challenging experience. The mountains, rafting, all of it. It was awesome. And what was fun and what's so crazy about how this, this works for all of us is that what was a, hey, we're getting ready to do this thing, this anticipation, it finally became the thing, like we were there in the middle of it, 
but it didn't take long. It took like the plane ride back for it to become a we did kind of experience. It didn't take long for it just to become something that we did. Now, what we knew and what the, um, the, 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 the leaders of this ministry knew is that we did something starts as soon as you leave. As soon as we are is over, it became a we did. And, and they knew that. So what they did is they, they, they gave us emails and they're sending us these devotionals that we got back on July 28th, and tw- th- this past summer, and I just got one in my inbox um, yesterday, all right? They gave us these prayers to be praying together and these challenges to be talking through so that we would remember, so that we would be drawing from these truths that God taught us, right, about who we are, about what God's called us to do as, as sons and men of God, right, that, that they knew we would need that, that we would need to continue to practice those rhythms, right, that we learned, um, these practices that would keep in our minds and, and plant in our hearts the things that God was still up to, the things that God was still doing right now. Because if we didn't, and we let a we were become a we did, then the more that God had in store for us right now, we would miss it. And a he did or he will kind of faith gets really tiring. What I need, what I think what the people of God need, is if only we could experience a relationship with our Heavenly Father that is described as he is or he is doing. Because let me tell you this, uh, if you're a parent— or if you're a grandparent who has a lot of influence on your grandchildren, listen. This is, what you're, this is what your kids are looking for. This is what your teenagers are looking for. They want to see an experience with God in their parents. They want to see that you're tasting it, that you're, that you're touching it, that you can feel it. That, that, that faith and a relationship with their Heavenly Father is something that their parents are tasting and feeling and experiencing. Because for many of them, they don't have that. And they want to know, they want to know that, that you love a God and that when you talk about God, that you're talking, you're, you're referencing a God who is, who is doing not just nice stories about him or the things that he might do but the God that you know and that you love now. That's what's missing in many of our marriages. That's what's missing in some of your relationships and some of the relationships that you think are going well, some of them that are broken or the future relationships you'll have one day. That's what's missing in it. As you're approaching relationships or marriage or dating with a stories about God you've heard or the things that you hope he'll do someday and you're just making it up in the in-between time. It's what's missing for many of us in a dried up faith that is tired. And it just keeps us putting off the things that we know we should be doing. Steps of trust that we want to take, but we don't. And without a God who (laughs) is, do you know what I mean? Without a God who is currently like doing 
we're just left with our past mistakes, addictions, and our preconceived ideas about who God is and how he works. And when you talk about God, when you, I mean, seriously, when you talk about God, when you talk about him, like to him, or talk about him with your family, or maybe talk about him um, to friends or to coworkers, or it, maybe you don't talk about God, maybe you just think about him, all right? Or when you talk to him, how do you talk to him? What do you say about him? Do you dwell on phrases like, I've heard these things about God. I know God did this. I've heard these Bible stories. Do you talk about the things that you hope God will do? The things that you're praying that he'll provide for you or do in your life? Or do you talk and use language about a God who is? A God who's doing? I'm telling you something that's very sobering, but I find to be pretty accurate. How you talk about God is a reflection of your relationship with him. The words that you use, the language that you use, how you talk about God is a direct reflection of your relationship with him. Analyze that. What language and words do you use? It would be like, picture this, you're getting married, okay, you're engaged, let's pick, 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 go, go, go with this for a minute. You're engaged, okay, and someone comes up to you and says, tell me what it is about your fiance, tell me why it is you're getting married, like what is it about her? And your response would be, well, one time when we were dating, she told me that she loved me. You're like, okay, that's a little weird. She said that once, Yes. That's why we're getting married. Okay. Well, what is it about her? Like, tell me about, tell me about her. And you say, well, before I met her, I had people tell me that she was really compassionate. So that's why we're getting married. Like, what? Or maybe this, or maybe they, they say, well, okay, tell me about why you're getting married. You say, well, listen, listen. And, and, and the ladies say, listen, I am marrying him because I've heard someday he might make a good husband. Right? Now, you wouldn't say that because that, it, maybe you would, and, and I would be happy to meet with you, all right, later, and we can, we can talk through some, of that you're, maybe you're rushing it a little bit, all right? But, but, but here's the thing, you wouldn't say that. No, you would talk about the things that you're experiencing now with her. Man, I love the way that she treats me. I love the way that she, she, she is with people. Like, I've, I've not only seen it, but I'm seeing it now in him. These qualities that, I mean, he loves God and he serves other people. You would talk about the things that you're experiencing and enjoying now. So how is it that you speak when you speak about your heavenly father? Is it a God that just did stuff? Is it a God that you prayerfully hope will do stuff? Or is it a God that you know is active and working and present now? Because Luke said he is. John, who arguably knew Jesus really better than anyone, maybe him and Peter both. Well, James was Jesus' brother, so maybe the three of them knew Jesus better than anyone. 
And John wrote the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John wrote that in the New Testament of our Bible. But he also wrote three other books that are a little bit later in the New Testament. First, second, and third John. Same John, same overall message. But what John does in first, second, and third John, one of the things he does is to give a testimony convincing you and me that Jesus really is who he said he is, that he is a God of now. So go there with me in 1 John chapter 1. All right, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. This is what he says. He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. This is the one who is life itself, who was revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Do you fully share that joy? Because John wrote to say, yeah, yeah, oh, oh guys, God is good. And he, he sent his son, his son who has been eternally present with him in the past, who, who is God, right? He, and he talks about this, this God who lived and we, he walked with us and he talked with us because we've seen him and we've touched him and we ate with him and we walked with him. Yes, he is a God who did. But do you notice that there's three things he says that make Jesus very present? Listen, this is what he says. He says, he is the word of life. Church, it matters that he didn't say he was the word of life. Do you understand that? He is the word of life. The one who is life itself. Not if you follow all of these things you've heard about him, that you can have a good life. Like, he is life. He doesn't just promise life. Listen, he actually says this. He is the one who is eternal. Not God will do something for you someday, but he is eternal now. Jesus is a present reality. This is John's testimony. He isn't a did God. Guys, there are people in this room, from my heart, you have been following and maybe even worshiping a God who did, and you've been doing it for way too long. John said, he's not a will God. And from my heart, there are people in this room, and I, and I know it because it's, 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 it's really kind of how we've always been taught to think about it, that, that you've just been focusing on a God who, who answers prayers and who promises something better on the other side. And you've just been making it up in between. John said, we don't worship, we don't know like a did God or a will God. Like we, we, we get to know a here and now God. And guys, that's a game changer. Because we have fellowship. Do you know what that means, fellowship? Another word we use is communion. Like we have this deep, intimate relationship with God. What John says is literally this. You and I, it blows my mind, 
we share oneness with God. We share oneness with him. That's how intimate, that's how knowable he is. Timothy Keller said in, in a book he wrote on this, this mystery of Christmas, listen to what he says. He says, but because Jesus is God come in flesh, he is eternal life. To unite with him by faith, to know him in love, is to have this life, period, full stop. There is nothing else for you to achieve or attain. See, a God who is church, or a God who has, you are welcome. You are welcome, and and, and I won't like it. In fact, I'll grieve for you, but you are welcome to continue to worship a God who has. And you're welcome to think about all the stories you've heard, the preconceived ideas you've had, and the things that he has done. Because listen, that's important to know. And you are welcome to stay there. And it just means that you will respond to him with actions to appease what he's done and some sort of actions of gratitude or penance or actions that come from guilt because God has done these things, then you will feel obligated to act. And a God who has, when you worship a God only who has the stories that you've heard, your life will be marked by doubt and insecurity because you'll always wonder, have I been good enough? Have I responded in the right way? And your life will be marked by that forever. I know it's up to you, it's up to me, right? Because we've been presented a God who will. Hey, just pray about it, right? And maybe God will. One day, Jesus will come back and God will. And so we've been presented this God sometimes. I mean, maybe not intentionally, but it's happened. And we say, and we say well, then he, if, if it's a God who will, then our lives will be about just believing the right things. Because if he's coming back someday, I want to make sure I'm on the right side of that thing. You know what I mean? And so our lives are just marked by believing the right thing. As long as we believe the right things, and then our lives, your life will be marked by, by apathy and despair. Because apathy will say, well, at least I believe in something. And despair will say, but I don't know if I've believed hard enough. And you will be whiplashed back and forth between a God who said he did and a God who said he will, and you'll go back and you'll go both forth and you'll make up all the in-between and it will leave you empty. And if the Christmas story is true, let's go with this. If the Christmas story isn't true, listen, guys, if it really was just an inspiring story, a story that's nostalgic and fun to reminisce about here in the holiday season, then it is just that. It is inspiring. It's a good story, right? I mean, it's a scandalous story. They should make a movie about it. It's a good tale. But if it isn't true, that's kind of where it stays for you and me. It's inspiring. It helps us want to live better. But John's testimony, when John writes and says, let me tell you what I've seen and what we've heard and what we saw and what we know to be true about him. One one, um, author said, in John's word in 1 John, he's using language that's like judicial. It's, It's like courtroom language. 
He said, John's language that he uses when he writes 1 John is as if he's swearing under oath. He's giving a deposition. He's saying, here's what I know to be true because here's what I've seen and heard. I saw him die. I walked with him and I saw him alive. I saw him literally alive after he was dead. John says, I'm telling you the truth. This is what I've seen. And now he's alive. He is with us. John swears it to be true. And because that we have this gift of Jesus, God is not a God that we get just to know about. Listen, we really just don't have the luxury or the time to know about God. We have a God who's knowable. Present tense. Knowable. Because we have this gift of Jesus, church, God is not just a God that we hope will one day act and do all the things that he said he will. We don't just have that. We have a God that we can experience an intimate relationship with now. Because Christmas is true, we have fellowship with God. Understand what that word means. Fellowship, communion, it's oneness. Did you know that you have accessible to you right now deep, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. To experience this deep communion, this multi-dimensional bonding relationship that we have with God, it's now. And this is what I want to, to have um, us reflect on this morning. And, we're, and the band's going to come out and they're going to play and you're going to have a time just to, right there in your seat, to think about these things, which is fine, or to pray about these things, which is, which is good. But here's what I want you to think about. If you want to know God on a more personal level, that's, that's the first statement. If you do, if you want to know God more personally, you can't just believe general truths about him. You can't just pray once in a while the things that you'll hope he'll do. You must immerse yourself in him. If you want to know him more personally, then you've got to immerse yourself in him. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's actually quite simple. It's actually quite simple. You, you just need to get into those rhythms of things that remind you of the things he's done, of the things he said he'll do, so that you know for sure he's present with you in the now. And the rhythms of of reading his word and the rhythms of being in community with people of faith and the rhythms of learning what his truths are and the rhythms of like obeying them. That's how we get to know personally a God who loves you very, very much. Christmas means that God went to extreme lengths so that you and I would know he is knowable and personal, that he would reveal, he he would reveal all of himself to you and me. And Christmas comes with a challenge for us and a promise. The challenge is, do you want to get to know him more personally? Because he's knowable. And you so can. And it's so good. The promise this Christmas 
is that we have a God who's knowable, who's personal, who loves you deeply, and who can't wait for you to get to know him better. Is that what you want this season? And for the seasons that come afterwards, church, let's be done, can we? With only serving a God who's done some things, or a God who says that he will, but we'll take what we know of that and take what we hope in that, and we start a new beginning today of a whole new way of knowing God. On Christmas Eve, two days from now, we are going to celebrate baptisms. And if you have never made the decision yourself to surrender to God through baptism, a knowable God, I don't want you to walk out of this place this weekend or go into 2020 where you've put off knowing him and surrendering to the fact that he knows you so well. We're going to celebrate six baptisms on Tuesday in this place during our Christmas Eve service. What better time for you to say, I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. All of my questions are answered. But it is time for me to worship a God who knows me and who I can know. And if that's you, come find me after the service or let one of the people down here in the front who will be praying with you, let them know that. And we would love to talk to you about this. It's the beginning of a new season of you getting to know God on a whole new level. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for that. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your acts of goodness and your promise of a hopeful future. But Lord, more importantly, thank you that you are a God who is knowable and present now. Father, that drives us. Father, that draws out of us worship and that draws out of us trust. And God, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.